The scripture reading is from 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's really good to be here with you today. Uh, I consider David Ellis not simply a colleague, uh, but a friend, somebody I respect and admire. And if you're visiting, David Ellis is the pastor who's normally here. Uh, but also over the years, I've had various points of contact with Astoria Community Church. I've worked with some of the elders through presbytery committees. I know people like Raul and Anne and Andrea and others through the Christian community in New York. So anyway, I'm just really glad to be able to spend this morning with you uh, and to be here with you. I was actually supposed to preach here exactly one year ago, whatever the equivalent weekend around New Year's was. David and I agreed to swap uh, as we're doing today, but I had COVID, <laughs> which not only created a problem for me, but for poor David, who then had to scramble at the last minute to figure out uh, what he was going to preach on. Um, and so that's sort of how the last couple of years seems to have been for a lot of us, that you make plans and then things come up uh, that make it set, feel like you really can't plan to do much, that there's not much that we can control. And even in the last couple of years, it feels like uh, we're exposed to so much, it's hard to take it in that it feels like we really can't even understand what's happening, no less really make plans and make choices. And so I don't know how you're thinking about coming into 2023. Some of you are goal setters, and so a new year is a new opportunity where you have the option to say, you know what, let me just mark this new year, have some new ideas, start some new things. But I don't know how many of us uh, who might normally do that after the last couple of years are starting to feel like, you know, why bother? <laughs> Who knows what's going to come? You know, no matter what you plan, it's just see, things seem more unpredictable. Now, it's still worth having goals. It's still worth planning. But rather than trying to encourage you as we begin the year to come up with some big plan that you stick to, I thought it might be more helpful to remind you that within Christianity, the gospel has resources that helps you in those periods where your plans aren't coming together, where you find that you don't understand what's happening, where you have hopes and aspirations, but 
You're not sure how it's going to work out. So this morning we're looking at this passage in 1 Peter, and I want to uh, highlight three things for you. So that way, as you go into this year, maybe you have something of a Christian framework that would help you to navigate it. Now look, uh, we can be optimistic, we can be hopeful. 2023 may be your best year yet. I'm not being pessimistic. But even if it's a great year, life in this world is challenging. All of us will face difficulties in some capacity. And from this passage, there are three things that I think can help us navigate those. So the first, this may be a little bit obvious, but don't be surprised. So don't be surprised. So that, that's verse 12. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. That idea of a test. You know, you think you uh, have a certain understanding, you think you could do certain things, and then pressure reveals what's really going on. And so it's an opportunity for growth. But sometimes the difficulties are too great. We don't feel like we're about to grow. We feel like we're about to, to lose control. And so this reminder, don't be surprised. How is it helpful? Well, it's not helpful if the lesson you take from this is try to prepare for everything that could go wrong so that you don't have to deal with the surprise. That's impossible. And yet, if you're like me and maybe prone a bit to anxiety, <laughs> you sort of get fooled into thinking, well, if I could just anticipate what could go wrong, then I'm more prepared for it. But the trap, of course, is we don't know the future, so we don't know that things will go wonderfully, but we also don't know that things will go wrong. It's really not useful to assume the worst just so you have the advantage of not being completely taken by surprise. It actually just feeds your anxiety, and anxiety is not something Jesus encourages. Jesus says, actually, don't worry about what you're gonna wear and, the, and what you're going to eat, but seek first God's kingdom. And so worry is not meant to be part of the Christian life. Worry is part of everyone's life. You can't get around that. But that's not encouraged. I think the usefulness of, of saying do not be surprised is not that you should be anticipating everything that could go wrong, but that you don't get thrown by the disorientation when things do go wrong. Because that's the reason why it's not worth planning for everything that could go wrong, because no matter what you plan for, there's always something that you couldn't have anticipated. And those moments are hard to get, they're hard to navigate because they're disorienting. You find yourself saying, I had a certain understanding and now I don't understand. I thought I was doing something and now I don't know what to do. I'm confused. And for many of us, those are very hard circumstances to navigate. And so, for example, if, if you're a puzzle doer, uh, but you want to do a very complicated puzzle, like a thousand piece puzzle, for, I don't know, for me that sounds overwhelming, uh, too many pieces to sort of keep track of. You can't sort of look at them all unless you have a photographic memory. And so, so I always need some kind of strategy, like just look for the edge, the straight pieces, or look for a certain color. You need to shrink things down and, and sort of build your place and then add to it. Inadvertently, most of us face life in that way. We, we find our own, here's our interest, here's our community, here's, even in a big city like New York, so here you are in Astoria, so many restaurants, so many stores, so many things to do. You usually have your own five or 10 or 15 or whatever the things are. You shrink your world down to, to these are the people I hang out with, these are my routines, and there's just a lot going on that you're not aware of. 
But what happens, it's kind of like you're doing that and then the puzzle pieces keep get, getting dumped in. The last few years especially, just to more people, but for some of you it may be just the nature of your life or uh, any number of things, but, but we try to, to shrink our lives down to something that we understand that's manageable. And then we face circumstances in life where it just feels like this is too much, I can't keep track of it all, I thought I had a plan, uh, I'm trying to jam these pieces in and they don't fit. It could be really overwhelming. I think what Peter is saying is in those situations, don't be surprised as though something strange is happening because the kinds of thoughts we have is what's wrong with me <laughs> that I, I didn't plan for this? What's wrong with me that I can't navigate this? How come I can't understand this? And, and what we're finding out now because of, our, of social media and our being linked to the world is the world is too big and complex for anyone. You know, there's this big data out there. Who can make sense of any of it? So don't be surprised if you find out you don't understand it all. Don't be surprised if you can't control everything in your lives. And so I think the usefulness of it is to say there's something about learning to need, uh, the need to learn to navigate those kinds of situations where from a Christian perspective, there's a lot offered to us. Doesn't Jesus say, trust me, follow me, learn of my ways, do what I teach you, which is partly preparing us for those situations where you say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure what the right thing is. I'm not sure that I could do the thing that I want to do. I want to do the thing you don't want me to do. How do I navigate that? Peter is saying when those moments happen, don't waste your time saying, what's wrong with me? I'm the only one that doesn't understand this. Don't be surprised by it, as though something strange were happening. Uh, but when it happens, move forward with the very things Jesus tells you. Seek me. Pray. Ask for my help. Trust me. So one thing going into 2023 is just don't be thrown by the surprise if you face a situation or situations that you just weren't expecting. That could be part of the next year. Here's a second thing that I think could be helpful which is to share your life with Christ. Um, and what I have in view here is, is, for those of us who are Christian, we may have different things about Christianity that's appealing to us, or different parts of the Christian life that just make the most sense and, and are what we do. If you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe there's certain things about Christianity that are appealing enough that that's why you're here, but certain things that you don't understand. Um, for some of us, Christianity really is about ethics. It's just wanting to do the right thing. For some of us, it's about a future reward, knowing that there are things that are promised. There are all these various things that the Bible teaches that, that each of us may latch on to. But sometimes we miss that ultimately when Jesus says, follow me, when he says, believe in me, he's talking about joining our lives with him. There is a, a very personal component to Christianity. And we sometimes lose track of that when we're just focused on what am I supposed to do, what do I get out of this, what can't I do. Um, that sense of we're, we're walking with Christ is important, especially in navigating the situations where we don't know what to do, where we don't feel like we're in control. Um, and so, so that, that concept of sharing our lives is part of the encouragement we get here. Now, now the context here is, look, lots of there's lots of kinds of situations where, which you'll face where things don't happen as you want. And um, there's not a simple explanation for all of them. For example, one category is sometimes things go wrong because you make bad choices. So, so that's in here. Verse 15 says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. 
But sometimes suffering happens because we do the wrong thing. And to the degree that the, the world is made and ordered wisely and there is justice, then actually and you do, if you do the wrong thing and it doesn't work out well, that's what's supposed to happen. So you can't get upset. If, if you lie to people and then they don't want to be your friend, you can't say what's wrong with them. They're not very kind. It's, you should actually say this is what happens when you lie to people. If you steal things and then wind up in prison, you shouldn't say what's wrong with the system. That's the system at work. The problem is we live in a world where sometimes you're kind to people and they don't want to be your friend. People wind up in prison even if they haven't done something wrong. Those are the hard situations to navigate. Those are the situations that don't make sense. And because the world has corruption in it, we all need to be prepared for that not working aspect of the world. And so one of the ways that Christians are encouraged to navigate it, Jesus doesn't promise if, if you believe in me, all of your troubles will go away. I would desire that. And you might think in some ways Jesus is saying that, but Jesus says in many places, if they've mistreated me, they will mistreat you. It's not that life becomes easy, but Jesus does say, but if you follow me, uh, you have a certain strength, you have a certain hope of a future outcome, you actually are better off because there's no getting around that life in this world is hard. So life in this world would be hard for everyone, including people who are following Jesus, but life in the world will work out much better for those who are following Jesus. And so, on the one hand, the warning to not be like the murderer or the thief or those who meddle, whatever that means, um, there's a sense here in, in, in which uh, there's, a, there's a way of approaching life where you say, I am going to act for my own advantage at the expense of others. And when it doesn't work out that way, don't be surprised. <laughs> Um, the the self-centered impulse seems to make sense when you're in your own head, but, but the world doesn't work that way. So again, if you're lying, if you're stealing, if you're mistreating people, it's not going to work out well for you. So you shouldn't be surprised then. Uh, but instead of, of acting in a way that benefits myself at the expense of others, we are called to benefit others even at our own expense. But sometimes we burn out doing that because we do it in this radically individualistic way. We, we do it in a way that's ironically still self-centered. So the obvious self-centered thing is I'm gonna do what benefits me even if it costs others. But sometimes in trying, in rightly trying to reverse that, we say now I'm gonna, I'm gonna sacrifice myself for the sake of others, but it's still focused on myself. And then you just don't have the energy to sustain it. You wind up bitter. The Christian life is a calling to, to live uprightly and to live justly, and that includes loving others by making sacrifices, but it's something you do in fellowship with Christ, with his strength, with his love, and therefore that sharing life with Christ is essential for what, what we're being encouraged by Peter to do, which is to continue to do good in life even if the world is not rewarding us for it. So the alternative in verse 13 is to rejoice even in these surprisingly difficult times. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And what I'm highlighting here is that word sharing. Um, the, the, the reason we baptize, 
It's one of the things Paul says, don't you know you've been baptized into Christ? We go from people that are, are separated from God to people who are joined with God. Baptism is a sign of, of our union with Christ. Our faith in Christ is that now the Spirit is in us. It rests on us. Uh, our lives are, we're no longer isolated individuals, but we're part of Christ's body. And therefore, there's a sharing. Part of that sharing is a sharing in suffering, but part of that sharing is also a sharing in glory. And this is where in Christianity we really get the better end of the deal, in that Jesus who was in glory comes to share in our sufferings so that we in our suffering have hope that one day we will share in his glory. So in those moments of suffering, we have the awareness that we are not alone in it, because Jesus willingly joined his life. He didn't simply stand outside and say, once you have things together, I will welcome you into my kingdom. But he came into the earthly realm to join with us in our sufferings so that we would have the hope that when his glory is revealed, we will be participants in that. That doesn't make suffering easy. It doesn't make it go away. It doesn't mean that we'll do the right thing. But it means that we can suffer not as those who have no hope, but as those who do have hope, which is, on the other side of it, there is a glory that is to be revealed. And that does give us strength. It does give motivation. And so there are a number of things here that we can take hold of as we remember that if our faith is in Christ, we don't live as isolated individuals. So it doesn't depend on my understanding on everything, my being able to do everything. But if I'm sharing my life with Christ, I can deepen in faith and learn what it means to depend on him. And there are a number of of things that, that come out of that. One is, um, as you face difficulties, aware that Christ is with us in those difficulties, it deepens our appreciation of our love for Christ, who willingly joined himself in our humanity and suffered. He didn't have to, but he chose to do that. A number of years ago, I had a, a small cavity that needed to be filled, and I don't remember exactly why, but but I did it without anesthesia. <laughs> I think part of it was my thinking like, I could go through one minute of pain rather than have to spend the next six hours with a numb face and not being able to eat and deal with hunger. I think also just knowing myself, my insurance was probably insufficient and I was trying to save money. I, it was not a good idea, but there I was uh, with the dentist promising it won't be that long and finding anesthesia is a good thing, I know. <laughs> have an appreciation for why people do this. So there I am getting my tooth drilled and thinking this is really painful. Now, where my mind just happened to go in that moment was, you know, one of the interesting things about pain is, is you know, there's various kinds of pain. So it's not like if you're feeling one pain, you don't really know what other people's kinds of pain is. But I found myself thinking, if I'm having trouble getting through this one minute having a tooth drilled, what would it have been like for Jesus to be on the cross? And of course, I have no idea. <laughs> you, you can't, you can't um, work out from this kind of pain what it would be like, except in the sense of, I really hate this and want it to end. So how much more would it have been to spend hours on a cross? And so I don't know, but I found myself in that moment just having a sense of the kindness of God to say it for, why he did it, what he experienced, I don't really know, but but it was much worse than this thing that I'm currently facing. And, it, and what I received from that is, the love of God is more profound than you realize. <laughs> that little glimpse of suffering, when the gospel message, Jesus suffered on your behalf, 
how we take that for granted. And so in those moments where we feel helpless, it's not that it's good. We don't say, oh, thank you, Lord, because I could learn a lesson from this. We can cry out, Lord, end this. But as we're in it, it does allow us to understand, look at the love of God that he did this on our behalf. And so in our suffering, God can be with us, sustaining us and, and, and helping us. Um, one of the, here's another uh, implication of sharing our life with Christ. One of the problems with suffering is, for the most part, we always tend to feel like nobody can really get whatever it is we're experiencing. To some degree that's true, often it's not. But, but that just makes suffering worse, the sense that nobody sees, nobody cares, nobody understands. But what the gospel says is, well, Jesus suffered in every way. And therefore, if we're sharing our lives with Christ, we're, we're never really alone in what we face. Now, that doesn't mean you will feel God's presence, but as, as you mature in Christianity, um, you, you learn to rest on what God has promised, on believing God's character. So in those moments where you can say, I don't, I don't feel his presence, but I believe it's true that he's with me, that actually sustains us. And in these times of testing, you may be somebody that has the kind of confidence that not everybody in Christianity has, where you always feel that, but a fiery trial comes, and then you find yourself saying, but now I don't. That makes it really hard, but that's where we need to rest in these foundational things about God's kindness, God's promise, the fact that Jesus suffered on our behalf, and if he loved us in that way, then we don't need to give in to the fearful thoughts of, maybe God has abandoned me, but to know that God is gracious and forgiving. So in those moments, if I'm sharing my life with Christ, to know that when I need him most, I can, I can trust that he will be with me even if I don't know where he is, even if I can't find him. And resting in that sustains us. And so as we share our lives with Christ, we have strength in these confusing periods. Uh, here's another thing is he's leading us through. Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. So you find yourself saying, I don't know where, what to do. I don't know where he is. And we just have to slow down patiently and say, but he... He promises that he leads his flock through it. I'm part of his flock and he doesn't lose one and, and therefore I just need to be patient and, and kind of feel okay existing in this as I try to move forward, trusting that on the other side of it, I didn't see him, but he saw me. <laughs> he walked me through, I'm listening for his voice. It's really hard to exist in those periods. Um, but the gospel says, if you, if you follow me, uh, I will not leave you, I will not forsake you. We have to rest in that, uh, on those periods. Here's the last thing here, just about sharing life with Christ. Um, human beings like purpose. If we're suffering with a purpose, we can endure it. It's, those, it's the forms of suffering where we can't see any purpose. And, and some of the suffering we experience, there may never be a, a reasonable explanation. Um, and that's just part of what we need to navigate. I don't know why this particular illness happened. I don't know why these particular people acted this way. I don't know why this news event, uh, this terrible thing happened. We can't always explain it. If we can, we think if we could explain it, then we'll feel okay. There's a bit of a trap there. Sometimes things are so terrible that even if you can explain it, it doesn't make it better. But there, are, there is that challenge that, that we don't always know what God's purpose is. And, and one of the things about, about the way the Bible presents God is to say, God is somehow wisely ordering the whole of history for ultimately good outcomes, which doesn't mean that any particular thing that's happening is good. 
When something terrible is happening, we don't have to say this must be good because God has a purpose in it. You should say, well, I must trust that God is with me and, and that there is the hope of future glory on the other side of it. And one day I may find, in God's wisdom, he really used this in a powerful way in my life or maybe in the life of somebody else. I don't know why this is happening to me, but maybe God is using this for somebody else's benefit. You may find at the end of the ages, there's no satisfying explanation, and yet God's care for you, God's wisdom overall, God's bringing you through, still proves to be ultimately right. And therefore, if you're sharing your life with Christ, there is that confidence you can have to say, I don't, I don't fully know what good could come from this, and at this point, I'm not going to assume good will come from this. But I still believe that God is good, and, and therefore, that provides the strength to move forward. So I would encourage you to, to, um, to go into 2023 aware that the Christian life is about walking with God. Why do we pray? Because it's one of the Christian rules? <laughs> no, because we have the ear of the creator of the universe. It's a great privilege. God hears. God cares. Why do we read the scriptures? Because we believe that when we prayerfully do throw, do so, it may not be every time we read the Bible, but, but over time, God is speaking into our lives. And, and therefore, as you're doing life with Christ, it helps you to return thanks for every good thing. You know, we live in a culture that tells you to be thankful. Christianity gives you a personalized universe. You're not just to be thankful. You're to be thankful to someone who's providing for you. So when things are going well, if you're sharing your life with Christ, you have somebody to say, thank you, Lord, for providing this. But when things are not going well, you have somebody to call out and say, Lord, I need help. I don't understand. I can't do this. With the confidence that over time you will see that God is faithful. So here's the last thing uh, that we could get from this passage as we're going into 2023. Uh, how do we, what kind of framework helps us for those things that we may find surprising, even if we should be totally surprised? Um, entrust your soul to your creator. So that's the third thing. First, don't be surprised. Secondly, share your life with Christ. But now third, entrust your soul to your creator. Uh, so so uh, the, the translation that, that we have here, the English Standard Version, uses the language of entrust. In verse 19, entrust your souls to a faithful creator. I think it's a good angle on, on the word trust or the word faith as you find yourself saying, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, part of it is just accepting a certain body of doctrine and information and assenting to it being true. But, but it actually is more substantial than that. It really is about um, entrusting yourself to God. And that's something that, that we need to mature into. You know, our bodies matter. Our possessions matter. Um, but, but, but there's a lot of fluctuation with those things. Our souls are very selves. God says, you know, I will protect my people. You can entrust your soul, your very life to me. And, and that's something that we really need to learn. How do we entrust the very depths of our being to God? To the degree that we're able to do that, we are much more ready to face those situations where we, we feel like we can't control all of the outcomes. And, and, and there's an interesting contrast made here in verse 16 that I think highlights how we experience those kinds of moments and what goes wrong. He says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, so that's what's in view. And I think largely what's in view is maybe explicit, you're being persecuted because you're taking a stand for Christ. But I think if you are sharing your life with Christ, everything you're happening happens to you as a Christian. 
So he says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And I think juxtaposing those two things helps us to see maybe what's natural to us and what's unnatural to us. What becomes natural to human beings is to experience shame under any circumstance. What's unnatural is to seek God's glory in every circumstance. But, but we're, we're, we're told to live differently. We're, we're, we're put in a new place. Shame is one of the outworkings from the very beginning of the Bible of not trusting God. Genesis 2 ends ominously. Adam and Eve in this garden of Eve were naked, but they were not ashamed. They were vulnerable. They weren't hiding anything, but they weren't overwhelmed by shame. And then Genesis 3, they turn from God, and then the first thing they do is they hide. And they leave the garden from God's presence, and they're covering themselves up. And the human... Um, instinct to cover ourselves up, to want to be known, but to not really be known, winds up being so controlling and it's isolating. So, so here's the thing is, is the nature of sin isolates. It, 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 it separates us from God, it separates us from others, and therefore it breaks us apart inside. And shame winds up having the kind of impact on us that we, uh, we cover up lies rather than exposing them. Um, we, 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 we want to comfort ourselves with things that we know are harmful to us just because we can't exist in a place of discomfort. And one of the things that we're told here in the gospel is there is a different way. If you're suffering as a Christian, you're with Christ who shares in our sufferings. And therefore, the experience of shame itself, you look at what is the nature of Jesus' sufferings. Well, they were physical. He went to the cross. But it was also about his being misunderstood in his entire teaching ministry. It was about his being ridiculed. It was about his being unjustly condemned. On the cross, he was being mocked. If you're really the Son of God and you claim to have all this power and the Father loves you, why don't you come down? The extent of his suffering that, that he was stripped naked and exposed so that he would bear our shame. Um, it communicates when God says he loves us. And you find yourself saying, how do I know God loves me? Uh, what is it that he did not do for us? Well, Jesus bears our shame. He, he bears the isolation that he's the one who cries out, why am I forsaken? He lived the upright life that we should have lived, but he died that miserable death that we fear we're going to experience. And what the gospel says is, but if you share your life with Christ, if you share in his sufferings, your future is different, not because... You're smarter than others, not because you've got your life together, but because now Christ has done something healing and redemptive in your life. And so you have a new identity. And so you are no longer somebody who's dominated by shame, but now actually you can do what's been unnatural, but becomes part of this new nature, which is to seek God's glory. So if you suffer as a Christian, if you face this life, sharing life with Christ, don't be ashamed, which is kind of the dialogue when we don't understand what we can't control. What's wrong with me? I'm such an idiot. I always ruin things. Those are the kinds of thoughts that go through many of our heads. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial, as though something strange were happening. Don't be ashamed. Don't waste your time thinking that you could have done better, you could have been better prepared, somebody smarter would handle things differently. If Christ is in you, if you have the ear of the Creator, don't be ashamed. But instead, glorify God in the name that you now bear, in the name of Christ, who you are now united with. So verse 14 says, if you were insulted for the name of Christ, 
you're blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Our fear of being exposed, well, what is it people will ultimately see if you were in Christ? Well, it's the righteousness of Christ. It's the glory of God. We no longer need to be concerned about our own failings to the degree that we could be honest. All of us are sinners. None of us are perfect. And yet in Christ, the spirit of God rests upon us. And so I never need to be humiliated about who I was. I now can seek the glory of who I am in Christ. And therefore, verse 19 says, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That's the application. If you're surprised that things go wrong, you're going to resort to all sorts of things that don't involve your being sustained in doing good. If you are overwhelmed by shame and regret, if you find yourself saying, but there's a different opportunity here, that even though I now don't understand, I'm not in control, but I'm in Christ, and therefore, where I had been trusting myself, and now I realized I can't. I don't know what to do. I can trust Christ, who is with me in this, and therefore, I could keep doing good, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it doesn't seem the pragmatic thing, if the right thing doesn't seem like it will get me out of the situation, I can do it because Jesus says that's the thing to do. And if it works out, give thanks to the glory of God, and if it doesn't, you suffered with Christ, but there will be a revelation of his glory. And so keep going. It's before us. We are those who have hope. Um, there's this TV show called Running Wild with Bear Grillis, Grills. Uh, the premise of the show is interesting. Here's this like outdoor guy who he's an expert in all, he's got military training and he's you know uh, great at all of the outdoor things, but he takes these celebrities with him who are actors, musicians, kind of famous people. What's interesting to me about the, the premise, he'll go you know, for three days into the woods somewhere and, and sort of, I think people watch the show because they get to sort of learn about the, the celebrity, but I, I think one of the interesting things is um, whatever it is that we value that celebrities have, so these are people that are very good looking, they have a lot of money, they have influence. You know, you get dropped in the mountains and none of those things benefit you when like you're facing a bear. And so what do you do if you're a famous actor but there's a bear in front of you? Well, if you're with Bear Grylls and he knows what to do because he understands these things, it doesn't mean you're not gonna be afraid. It doesn't mean that you would do the right thing, uh, but it means that all the things that you normally draw confidence from are not gonna help you. That your confidence is, first of all, I have this very informed, wise person with me, and then secondly, I'm trusting if this is being televised that there's some attorney somewhere that's gonna make sure that I'm not completely harmed. And so, so the things that, uh, that I would normally have confidence in, being good looking doesn't matter, being rich doesn't matter, being, uh, having influence doesn't matter, but there are other things that in that moment you can say, but I can get through this. There are so many situations in life and who knows what 2023 will bring. Again, my hope is you will find yourself saying, what an amazing year. Let's look at the kindness of God at this time next year. But if you find yourself at some point saying, boy, I didn't want this. Is Christ with you and are you with Christ? And then if you normally were able to get by on how smart you are or how many friends you have or your resume or whatever it is that normally gave you confidence but now is not giving you confidence, will you be okay? I don't know. 
But if you're in Christ, I can say ultimately you will be. If you share in his sufferings, you will share in his glory. And so let's hope for the best for this year. Let's make this year better than the last. But don't be surprised if you find yourself having additional difficulties. But don't face them alone. Face them with God who is described here as our faithful creator. We need to believe that. God is faithful. And if he is, then we can do all things through Christ who gives us our strength. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we come here today, uh, different people, some of us may, may be entering 2023 pessimistically because of a real present struggle. We join with those people, knowing that in the body there's strength. Lord, we pray on behalf of anyone coming discouraged, overwhelmed, and weak. We pray for those as well who come optimistic, but know that we can't control all things, Lord, that we would navigate this year, all of us, um, doing good, persisting, hoping in you, growing in grace. Lord, we appeal to you for that. We appeal to you for that blessing of your spirit, for your protection and provision, and pray that in this year we would grow to, to know more of your love and that the love uh, that you pour into us would come out of us in new and more substantial ways. May this be a, a year of, of true maturing, of growth, and of grace, and we ask for blessing. We pray that this would be a year of prospering. But Lord, whatever it is that comes, uh, be with us in it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.